Today tastes like heading out the door and driving into town. It tastes like grabbing snacks and a Coke and singing as loud as you can. Today tastes like anything could happen. And it never tasted this good. Summer tastes better with Coca-Cola. Wherever you're going this week, don't forget to grab an ice-cold, refreshing Coca-Cola from 7-Eleven. Rocco Kelly here, host of The Sports Angle. Go to our website, thesportsangle.com. We post articles on there all the time. Go to our social media, at The Sports Angle, hashtag The Sports Angle, on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Reddit, all your favorite social media platforms. And... And shout out to KIOF 97.9 FM in Las Vegas and Talk 1490 WIRB in South Alabama and the Florida Panhandle. Recently, the Henderson Silver Knights were announced the logo, the name, the brand new hockey team here in Nevada. They're going to be the AHL affiliate of the Vegas Golden Knights. They're going to be playing at the Orleans Arena this upcoming season before they build the brand new arena in Henderson, Nevada. There has been a lot of positives, but there has been negatives to the move. And there is one pro and one con to having an AHL team in a market like Nevada, in a sports market that has had a very new professional team in the Vegas Golden Knights, a newer team in the Las Vegas Raiders. What does this mean for the Henderson Silver Knights? The first pro that comes to my mind is if you are a cheap person, if you're somebody that likes to keep money in your pocket, you don't like to have expensive tickets, and more importantly, if you like to spend less for more of your for more, a AHL game would be perfect for that. The tickets at T-Mobile Arena have gotten more pricey over the years. They have become a problem for Golden Knights fans because the prices keep going up. There were the people who paid the multi-year plans at the beginning, and there are people I know who are not going to be renewing their season tickets. They're not going to be coming back and paying X amount of money for their games. So an AHL team that will be playing a little bit off the strip at the Orleans Arena, would be a cheaper alternative to the Vegas Golden Knights. Face it, the AHL is a triple-A hockey league. It's that level right below the NHL. What does that mean? You're going to see former NHL players. You're going to see the Vegas Golden Knights players doing rehab assignments on this team. And you will see the brightest prospects in the Vegas Golden Knights system, play before they make it to the Major League. It's similar to the Las Vegas Aviators, the AAA team here in Las Vegas. They have had, for so many decades, the opportunity for fans to pay a lot cheaper than the professionals are. You get to see the bright top 100 prospects that baseball has to offer. You will see former MLB players who are either trying to get back into the majors or are on rehab assignments and are going to go back up in a week. From personal experience, when I go to a AAA baseball game, I have excitement 
because I get to watch the best of the best of the future come into their own, play at the AAA level, and then eventually get to the majors. Right now, here on the Sports Angle, we're discussing the Henderson Silver Knights, the brand-new team, the brand-new hockey team that is going to be in Nevada. So the positive, the one pro to the new Henderson team is that it's going to be a cheaper alternative to the to the Nevada and to the fans of hockey that are in this state. So what's the one con, Rocco? What is the one problem that you have with the Henderson Silver Knights? It is what I like to call diluting the product. For people who don't understand, I will explain. When you bring in an AHL hockey team to a NHL market that has just started, when you are bringing in another hockey club into a market that is brand new, it dilutes the market. It allows the all these people to sit there and go, uh, you know what, if I don't want to go to a Golden Knights game, I'll go to a Silver Knights game. If I don't want to go to a Silver Knights game, I'll just go to their practice facility. You know what? If I don't want to go to their practice facility, they got the Las Vegas Ice Center. You know what? I'm not going to go to the Las Vegas Ice Center. I'll go to the Sobe Ice Arena. There are so many hockey rinks that have either been built or have been created in the last five years. In my opinion, and in my angle, this brand new AHL just another form of diluting the product. It's just another situation of the city of Nevada, the city of Las Vegas and the state of Nevada causing hockey to now become less of a priority because you have so many of it. Let's face it like this. Nevada is trying to become a hockey town. They are aggressively expanding into hockey. But for anyone who has lived in Nevada for the last 15 years, they will know that this is a football town. They will know that on Sundays at the sports book, at the casinos, at the beer, at, at the bar, people watch football. People in the state of Nevada live and breathe football. There's also the fact that that high school football, like Bishop Gorman, has been a dominant force over the past decade and a half. Now, college football with UNLV and UNR has not been as dominant, but the bowl game like the Las Vegas Bowl and the brand new Las Vegas Bowl that's going to be at Allegiant Stadium where you're getting a Power 5 conference Facing a Power 5 conference, that's going to be a big deal. And the Las Vegas Raiders coming here is going to take major priority in the state of Nevada. This has always been a football town. Nevada has always been a dominant. Nevada, Nevada football has been dominant here. What they're trying to do with the Henderson Silver Knights is they're trying to establish a hockey town, and they're trying to aggressively enforce hockey in Nevada. Now, I'm going to state for the record, I like hockey. I am a fan of hockey. I've gone to games. It's fun. But when you try to aggressively expand one market into a certain state, a lot of times it fails. A lot of the time... It does not pan out, and it dilutes the product. So back to my angle, is that with the Henderson Silver Knights, this is going to cause hockey to become diluted in the state of Nevada because you're going to have so many options and so many varieties that it's not going to mean as much if you miss a Golden Knights game. It's not going to matter as much if you miss a Silver's Knights game. Why? Because you got plenty of other ice rinks and you got plenty of other 
hockey teams here in the state of Nevada. It causes a problem for people is that if you have, it's like supply and demand. Let's use that as an example. If you have a supply and demand, if you have a low supply of something, the demand's going to be higher. If you have a high demand of something, you're going to need to have a low supply. Well, if you have a high supply, it's going to cause a low demand. And the more of hockey that they're bringing into the state of Nevada, and this is my opinion, the higher of a supply and the more teams they bring in and the more hockey rinks they build, the lower the demand is going to be for hockey. There needs to be a balance. And when they originally created the Vegas Golden Knights, there was that balance there. But they keep going and going and going and going. Eventually, there could be a point where it's become so diluted that people eventually are going to stop caring about the state, about hockey in the state of Nevada. I hope it doesn't get to that. And in my opinion, I hope it doesn't. But the sad truth of it is, is that when you dilute a product and you add more and you stack it more on top of each other, it's going to cause problems. And also remember what I mentioned earlier in the segment is that the state of Nevada has always been and has consistently been a football town. It has been ruled by Saturday and Sunday at football. Now, for the people who are understandably wondering what my angle was on it, my angle is that with the Henderson Silver Knights being brought in, Yes, it does bring a cheaper alternative to the Golden Knights, but it dilutes the product and it causes more hockey, which means less demand because there's more of a supply of it. It is a simple economics, less supply, more demand, more supply, less demand for it. I mean, Sonar, I think that makes sense, right? If you keep adding more hockey teams and you keep adding more hockey rinks and more stuff like that, that is more of a supply, which means in economic terms, less of a demand because you're getting more of it. Absolutely, which is exactly my argument for the MLB. You know what? MLB is similar as well. I mean, MLB has 162 games, and during the dog days of summer, it is a need. During the summer months, during that long span, when baseball is the only thing that's on, that is a demand that people have. But when it comes to the rest of the games and when it comes to everything else, I understand your argument there. This is The Sports Angle. I'm your host, Rocco Kelly. Go to our website, thesportsangle.com, and go to our social media at the Sports Angle. And go check out our podcast, iHeartRadio and Spotify. Thanks to Sonar for helping me out. I'm your host, Rocco Kelly. This is Sports Angle. See you next time. Rocco Kelly here. 
host of The Sports Angle. In baseball, there are always those what-ifs. There are those scenarios, there are those teams that you always look back and go, if they would have won this, they could have been a potential dynasty. If they would have won this, they would have gone down as one of the greatest teams of all time. And in this upcoming scenario, if they would have won this, they would have continued the agony of one franchise. The Cleveland Indians in the mid-2010s, they were a lightning in a bottle. They were a Cleveland Indians team that most baseball fans were not used to seeing. To give you some context, before 2014, the Cleveland Indians were normally towards the bottom of the AL Central. They were trying to battle for either around 500 or battling for a top draft pick. Then something happened that changed the Cleveland Indians at that point. They hired former two-time World Series champion and as a manager, and that was Terry Francona. A very talented manager, one of the best in the entire MLB. And after that hire, the Cleveland Indians started coming to form. They started to become a very well-oiled machine. So they're building up their talent. Their talent like Francisco Lindor, Jose Ramirez. You have players like Jason Kipnis, who are solid. Mike Napoli, Jan Gomez. There are a good amount of talent that Cleveland had on that roster building up towards 2016. 2016 was the year in Cleveland. Had the Cavaliers win the NBA Finals. You had their AHL team be very successful in that in that playoff round. And more importantly, for the first time, and it felt like 20 years, the Cleveland Indians were an actual championship favorite. They weren't just a contender. They were a favorite to win the World Series. It was abnormal, and it felt nice for baseball fans to see Cleveland in that position. And they power along. They have a great regular season. They go into the playoffs, and they do it. They win the ALCS. They make it to the World Series, and they face another snake-bitten franchise in the Chicago Cubs. Interesting enough, the Cleveland Indians were the second longest franchise to not win a World Series. First was the Chicago Cubs. So, either way, a franchise was going to break their drought, regardless of who it was, the Cubs or the Indians. And the Cleveland Indians start out hot. Right out of the gate, they're on fire, they're electrified. They go up 3-1 to one in the series. And for a lot of Cleveland fans, the word three to one was something that kind of had been used for them because the Cleveland Cavaliers were down three to one earlier that said year. But for Cleveland Indians fans, that wasn't a smile on their face. That was a cause of concern because 20 years ago, exactly 1996, they were up 3-1 to one against the Florida Marlins, and they lost the World Series. So you go to Game 5, and the Chicago Cubs start to come back. They start to build momentum. They win Game 5. You know what? No worries. Game 6, they'll get it done. They're up. They're up by one game. They will make sure this series is closed out. The Chicago Cubs go to game six. 
They have a very solid game. And they tie the series up. You go to Game 7 in Cleveland at Progressive Field. Now, Game 7 in Cleveland, under the normal circumstances, would have not happened. You got to remember that they had gotten rid of the a home field advantage with the AL and the NL. All right? Under normal circumstances, it actually would have been different. But because they implemented the new MLB rule a year earlier, Cleveland got the AL to house the Game 7. So you go to Cleveland, you got Game 7, and from what I remember about this game, it was only four years ago, it was a roller coaster of events. There were certain points where it looked like Cleveland had this game won, and then there were times that they started to collapse and Chicago came back. Around the ninth inning, you had you know, Rajah Davis, you had Coco Crisp, you had those guys start to make a momentum, and they started to come back. They tied the game up. There was all this action that was going on. And around the ninth inning, as a Chicago Cubs fan myself, I thought Cleveland had it. At one point in the game, I believed that Cleveland was going to win the World Series and Cubs fans' misery was going to continue. Well, in the 10th inning... The Cubs get some form of momentum. Ben Zorbis, he hits that he hits that double that goes down the goes down the line. You had the momentum shift in that 10th inning. And yes, you could fake a rain delay for that. And because of that shift in momentum in that in the extra innings, the Chicago Cubs score enough runs for them to win the World Series. Now I'm not going to get into the impact of what it did to Chicago. Because trust me, it had a major impact on the Cubs and their future. I want to focus on the Cleveland Indians. And I want to focus on what effect did blowing a 3-1 to lead had on their franchise. Now... Immediately after that season, heading into 2017, they were still championship contenders. A lot of people thought that Cleveland was going to be back. You still got Terry Francona, Francisco Lindor, Jose Ramirez. You've got a lot of talented guys still there. You got Corey Clubber. That's one of your best starting pitchers. Trevor Bauer is still there. You've got Carlos Carrasco. There are plenty of players in the Cleveland Indian system that was going to get them back. And in 2017, they didn't even get close to the ALCS. They lose in the ALDS, and they have to restart over all over again. Despite a productive regular season, they could not get it done in the playoffs. But they still are in their window. And most baseball fans looking into 2018, Cleveland was still going to be the favorite to win the AL Central. They were going to get back to the playoffs. It was fine. Now, this is where they start to lose players. You start to lose players like a Jan Gomez. Uh, Players like Mike Napoli. He goes someplace else. Michael Brantley eventually moves over to Houston. And they lose a very talented outfielder over there. There are all these parts that keep moving. Rajah Davis, he eventually moved away from Cleveland. He goes someplace else. There was all these shifting parts that eventually were moving away, but they still were supposed to be championship contenders. Now, 2018, they make it back to the playoffs, but yet again, it's just another first one-and-done series. They get to the ALDS. They lose. And now this is where the wheels start to come off of that championship team. Trevor Bauer, later in the 2019 season, gets traded across town to Cincinnati. You have players like Jason Kipnis, who after that final season goes to Chicago in that offseason. Francisco Lindor was getting rumored to be traded throughout the entire time, the entire offseason season. People were expecting him to get traded. 
I believed he was going to Arizona myself. I thought that would have been a great combination. Corey Clubber, their Cy Young Award winner, they trade him to Texas for 20 cents on the dollar. There were all these parts that are now officially, they're officially gone. And outside of Francisco Lindor and Jose Ramirez, there is not many faces left from that 2016 roster that was dominant and were supposed to win a championship four years ago. So if they do play a season in 2020, and that is a big if, my angle on the Cleveland Indians is that 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 World Series loss in 2016 is what broke that team. When they blew that three to one lead. At General Motors, we make more than electric vehicles. We're helping to make the world a safer, more inclusive place for all. As the first automaker to support the Equality Act, General Motors celebrates and embraces diversity every day, especially during Pride Month, which is why we're proud to team up with iHeartRadio to support Can't Cancel Pride and the LGBTQ community. Because everybody in means everybody. Learn more at GM.com. The only thing better than grinding all night for your side hustle is your roommate picking you up with Mickey D's breakfast. The perfect pickup deal. There's a deal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, taste breakfast perfection when you get a warm and savory sausage McMuffin with egg for just $2.50. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. That led to the eventual decline, and that is what led to them breaking where they are now. This is The Sports Angle. I'm your host, Rocco Kelly. Go to our website, thesportsangle.com, to read all of our articles. And be right back after this. Rocco Kelly here, host of The Sports Angle. Recently, the NBA and the NBA community has been discussing the 1 versus 16, where there is no conferences, you just take the top 16 teams and they face each other, or do you keep the 1 versus 8 alive? Do you take the East, the one through eight, and the West, one through eight, and do you play them like normal? There has been, by un by uncredited uh, sources, that the NBA could also do an expansion of the playoffs. They could do a play-in series to the teams that were close to making the playoffs but were not one of the top eight teams before the pandemic. It would be kind of similar to how MLB has expanded their playoff format because how MLB has expanded their playoff teams is that they added two, they added more teams and it allows these uh, play-in matchups at the beginning. And then it has that second round and then finally the third round of matchups. Now, what the NBA has in mind with this expansion is that they would take more of those teams at the bottom that were at least trying to compete, that were at least trying to get a playoff berth 
or a playoff seed, a team like Portland, New Orleans, you've got Memphis, you got Brooklyn, you all these teams that were fighting for a playoff spot, and you would allow them to be in the play-in format and allow them to get into the playoffs. Now, am I against expansion? No. I'm not like a certain analyst out there that was appalled that the expansion idea was even considered. I'm not like that guy. I actually think expansion with this pandemic would not be a bad thing. It's similar to the NHL. The NHL, they announced their playoff format, and I'm all for it. I am for the play-in series. You take the bottom teams, you have them battle it out, you have the top seeds be basically in a first-round by round robin, and you figure out the seeding that way. It's very clever. I like the way they're doing it. If the NBA did that, if they did a round-robin-style tournament, I would not be upset by it. But let's get back to the rumored 1 versus 16 because that has been picking up a lot of traction over the last couple of weeks. Could the NBA, considering they're going to be in Orlando anyway, and all these teams are supposedly going to be playing in one complex, could they get rid of of the Eastern Conference and the Western Conference format that we are used to? And would we just have the top 16 in terms of their best record, regardless of East versus West, you put them in this tournament and you figure out who is the best in the NBA? Now, there are pros and cons to this argument. And I'm going to give you those before I tell you my angle. The pro to having the 1 versus 16 as opposed to the East versus West is that you would be able to have the best teams in the NBA face off against each other before they get to the to the finals. Because normally in the East versus West, you have the two best teams in the East and the two best teams in the West. You pretty much know they're going to face each other in the finals. Rarely you'll see a, like a four seed make it in there, but normally the one v two face off against each other. Well, in this format and in this one versus sixteen, it's all seeding, so they're going off of the record of the NBA itself. So you would see matchups that would allow some of the better teams to potentially fall. You would have a team like Milwaukee or a team like the Los Angeles Lakers potentially fall because of the seeding of one versus 16, especially those second round matchups. Because in this format, they would face the eight versus nine, or they would face the, if you're doing two versus 15, you would face a seven versus 10. Now those would be the middle of the area, but they would be one of the better teams in your selected conference under the current format. It would allow new matchups to form. Upsets could happen more frequently. It would allow a better experience to have upsets and different possibilities of the playoff format. Now, here's the con to the 1 versus 16 that I have heard from multiple people. You're getting rid of the rivalries. You would be getting rid of the Portland versus Oklahoma City rivalry that has formed because of them playing in the West. You have had Golden State versus Houston. That's been a rivalry that formed because they have to face in the West. There has been the Toronto and Philadelphia so many different rivalries are formed and created because of the frequency and the more often that they have to face each other in the NBA playoffs. If you're going to do one versus 16, that allows the East versus West to face each other and it allows these rivalries to not happen. It would be, it would allow the NBA to shift from the current rivalry system 
that they bank off of. There is no denying that the NBA loves to have these rivalries face off in the playoffs. They do the hype packages. They show the fights and the brawls and the hard hits. They show the superstars trash talking each other. They love to make these rivalries in the playoffs happen. Well, if you do one versus 16, East versus West, it would prevent certain rivalries to form, and I understand that that problem. Now, my angle on this is that if you do one versus 16, yes, it would allow the higher teams and the teams with the best records to potentially lose in the second round or maybe even the first round, and it wouldn't be as dominant as it normally is. But I get, I get the rivalry part. And for basketball fans, you love rivalries. I'm not that, I'm not that big on rivalries, but I understand the people who do, especially in basketball. That's why college basketball is so popular. You have your Duke versus North Carolinas. You have those type of rivalries, and that's what people love. So my angle is that you keep, East versus West, but here's what you do. Since you're playing in one complex and you're playing in the same place anyway, why not have basically what they do here in the NBA Summer League here in Las Vegas, where you'll have multiple games played. So you have one complex here and one complex here, and you'll have the East play here and the West play here, and they rotate. So you'll have the Western Conference games and the Eastern Conference games being played on the same day. It's not going to be, oh, the East are going to be on a Monday, the West are going to be on a Tuesday, and then we rotate. How about you do an NBA Summer League format where they play X amount of games on a certain day, and then when they get eliminated, they're officially done, you move up the bracket, and you do it all over again. That would be great for the NBA because you're in the same form, you're in the same facilities, you are in the same complexes, and the way they do the NBA Summer League, I have been to the NBA Summer League myself, and I like how at the Cox Pavilion, you'll have your multiple games there. At the Thomas and Mack Center, you'll have your four games there, and they rotate off and on. It's a great idea, and that is what the NBA should do. My angle is that you keep the East versus West, you keep the one versus eight, but you rotate the at the complexes, and you let the East games and the West games play on the same day. Don't rotate Monday and Tuesday. Don't make it a block schedule. For anyone who's ever gone to a high school with a block schedule, you'll understand what I meant by that. Don't let it be one day, have it be, you know, uh, the East on on this day, and then have the West be on this day. It 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 is not as effective. A block schedule is not as effective as just doing all your classes in one day. All right, in my opinion. But let's get back to basketball. That was a little bit of a diversion there. Now, I actually do understand that Milwaukee and L.A. is what people have wanted since the beginning of the season. A lot of basketball fans, you have been asking for a Giannis versus LeBron NBA Finals. I said Boston versus L.A. at the beginning of the season. Back in October, I wanted the Boston Celtics, and I wanted the Los Angeles Clippers to reignite that Boston versus L.A. rivalry with a new twist on it. If you go back and listen to the October shows, I mentioned it on Sports Angle that the Boston Celtics and the L.A. Clippers would be a great twist on the classic Boston versus L.A. rivalry. Why is that? Because Boston versus L.A., makes the NBA money. This is the Sports Angle. I'm your host, Rocco Kelly, and we'll be back after this. 
Rocco Kelly here, host of The Sports Angle. Now, these Vegas odds makers, they have been releasing the Super Bowl odds for the upcoming NFL season. And there is a lot you can dissect and you can dig and you can go multiple layers down and you can go, all right, well, that team, that's not going to be there. Oh, this team, no, this team, they they need to be way higher. Here's what the sports angle is going to do. There is one team that has caught my eye that I just don't believe that they are 25 to 1. I am not buying the fact that they are a supposed playoff team. And more importantly, I don't believe that they could win their division. And that is the Indianapolis Colts. And for the people out there that are fans of the Indianapolis Colts, and for the people who like Philip Rivers, you are not going to like me this segment. Now, the Indianapolis Colts last year, they were around an average team. Okay, they had a chance to make the playoffs. The wheels fell off, and that caused them to make a shift at quarterback. Jacoby Brissett is a good quarterback when you put pieces around him. Now, I do think that he still has talent, but the Indianapolis Colts just cost him a chance of playing in the future. So let's not focus on Brissett for a second. Let's focus on the guy that they massively overpaid this offseason. The guy they're expecting to shed nine years off his career and somehow be the 2011 Philip Rivers. Here's a news flash for all Colts fans. You are not getting the Philip Rivers who was in his late 20s, who was a top quarterback in the NFL. You are getting a late 30s Philip Rivers who is a shred of who he used to be. You are getting the Philip Rivers who will constantly throw away games early on and then somehow late in the game put up 200, 250 yards and make his stats look good. For anyone who plays fantasy football, Philip Rivers is the definition of padding stats. The Chargers could be down by 10, by 17 points, and Phillip Rivers will then all of a sudden activate superstar mode on Madden, and he'll become, he'll become a fantastic quarterback. And he will toss a couple of touchdowns in the air. He will get all these yardage late in the game when it doesn't matter. Phillip Rivers has always been a quarterback who struggles early and then capitalizes late. Sometimes he can make a comeback work. Sometimes he digs a hole way too deep and he can't get out of it. Colts fans, at best, and this is putting it lightly, at best, you might go 9-7. and seven. The worst that can happen to the Colts is that Phillip Rivers performs like Phillip Rivers, and you go 4-12. and 12. I don't trust him. I don't think he is good for Indianapolis. And more importantly, I would not take the 25-1 to 1 on the Indianapolis Colts because they have Phillip Rivers as their starting quarterback. It's same with the Los Angeles Chargers, too. They have a 25-1 to 1 odds for the Los Angeles Chargers, they have Tyrod Taylor as their starting quarterback. On your depth chart right now, Tyrod Taylor is your starter. And look, Tyrod Taylor is who he has always been. When he was with Baltimore, when he was with Buffalo, that brief stint in Cleveland, Tyrod Taylor is a quarterback that is reliable. He doesn't win you multiple games a year. He is a reliable quarterback 
that allows the rest of the team to do what they have to do. Do the Chargers have enough talent for Tyrod Taylor to do what he did in other places? No. Do the Chargers have anywhere near the talent to compete in that AFC West? No. And do they have anywhere near the fan base for me to continue this conversation for as long as I have? (laughs) No. Sorry, all the 17 Chargers who are left, but let's move on. For the Indianapolis Colts, you're getting a Phillip Rivers who, like I mentioned, he's not 2011 Phillip Rivers. He is 2020 Phillip Rivers. He is not going to be your superstar quarterback. He is not a franchise quarterback anymore. Nine and seven at best, four and 12, worst case scenario. I mean, you have a solid offensive line, which you built to protect Andrew Luck. You have a solid defense that you built to have Andrew Luck be your starting quarterback. In fact, how about we get that elephant for a second? Andrew Luck was supposed to be your starting franchise quarterback for a decade. Andrew Luck was supposed to be the savior of the Indianapolis Colts organization. And what did you do, Indy? You made another mistake. You caused another quarterback to retire early. And more importantly, you made another quarterback have so many injuries that he never wants to play another down in Indianapolis. Peyton Manning knows the scars that Andrew Luck went through in Indianapolis. That that next surgery that Peyton Manning had, that was the last image that Indianapolis Colts fans have of Peyton Manning. Andrew Luck walking off the field in tears in that press conference, that is the last image you saw of Andrew Luck. Do I blame Andrew Luck for what happened to him? Absolutely not. Who do I blame? I blame Jim Ursay. I blame the Indianapolis Colts front office and the organization for what they did to Andrew Luck, for how they ended the Peyton Manning tenure. They don't know what they got until it's gone. Like, it's seriously, it's like that Lincoln Park song. You don't know what you got until it's gone. The Colts have had two bona fide superstar quarterbacks that they drafted number one, and they let them slip through their fingers because they didn't protect them. Now, what else do they have in terms of their team that you could really talk about? T.Y. Hilton? Now, T.Y. Hilton is a good wide receiver. He's not a top 10 wide receiver. He's not a guy that you are going to put up there on your highlight reel when it comes to the best wide receivers in the game. Eric Ebron? Now, Eric Ebron was solid with Indianapolis. He wasn't really with Detroit, but Eric Ebron is an Eric Ebron, just to put it lightly. Your offensive line, I mentioned earlier, they built for luck. They got a Quentin Nelson. They went, you know, they have Anthony Anthony, uh, Catanzaro. There are certain offensive linemen on that team that are really good. But can they protect Phillip Rivers sitting in the pocket for nine seconds at a time? Can they really protect a Phillip Rivers who holds on to the ball for way too long? And secondly, can they help Phillip Rivers with his mistakes that he continues to make? Phillip Rivers, you've been in the league for 16 years. Why do you still make rookie mistakes? I have a problem with Philip Rivers, if you can't tell, because Philip Rivers has had the Chargers fans in this facade. Chargers fans, real Chargers fans, know what Philip Rivers is. He is a quarterback who, when the rest of the team is good, they make him look great. When the rest of the team is average at best, they show that Philip Rivers is an average quarterback. I've mentioned this earlier. 
and I've mentioned this in past shows. Philip Rivers is an average to above average quarterback at best. More importantly, the times that the Chargers were successful, it was not Philip Rivers who got it done. In 2017, when the Los Angeles Chargers made it to the playoffs and they lost to Tom Brady, that defense was one of the best in the NFL. You had a very solid running back in Melvin Gordon. That was not Philip Rivers who did that. 2007, when they had a great record, Ladanian Tomlinson was one of the hottest running backs in the NFL, and they had one of the best defenses in the NFL at that time. Same as 2006. 2006 was the first year that it was Drew Brees' team. Drew Brees, that was his team in 2006. That was not Phillip Rivers. So I don't give him credit for 06 either. Philip Rivers has never been the guy that's carried the Chargers. The Chargers carried him, and the Colts are going to have to carry Philip Rivers, just like the Chargers have had for 15 years. This is The Sports Angle. I am your host, Rocco Kelly, and we'll be right back. AC works overtime all summer, so be sure to replace your old air filters with new Filtry air filters. They recommend updating HVAC filters at least every three months all year round. So order your Filtry air filters today at Filtry.com. Let's clear the air. <sighs> the only thing better than grinding all night for your side hustle is your roommate picking you up with Mickey D's breakfast. <laughs> the perfect pickup deal. There's a deal for every morning at McDonald's. Right now, taste breakfast perfection when you get a warm and savory sausage McMuffin with egg for just $2.50. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. 